Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Bible Center. I'm Matt Friend, the senior pastor. It's so great to have you here, if you, especially if you call this your home. We love having you with us again today. If you're new with us, welcome to Bible Center. Great day to be here on Mother's Day. And for all those who are joining us online around the city and otherwise, it's great to have you uh, tune in as well. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26. We'll read that in a moment. But before we read, I want to tell you the story of how we arrived at Mother's Day, how Mother's Day came to be. It actually starts with a holiday about 40 years prior to Mother's Day. It was an unofficial holiday entitled Mother's Peace Day. Uh, This lady, her name was Julia Ward Howell in 1870, less than a decade after the Civil War, uh, was responsible for leading an effort for uh, mothers to help bring peace in the aftermath of the war. Uh, She's most famous for writing the song or the hymn, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, Um, but she led a movement, again, 40 years prior to Mother's Day that would become modern-day Mother's Day that we'll mention in a moment. She's famous for saying this, Arise, then, women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether our baptism be that of water or of tears. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own, and it says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. One of her followers, one of her comrades, was a lady by the name of Ann Jarvis. Ann Jarvis, it's the woman on the left, uh, lived in Philippi, West Virginia, the northern part of our state, where a few of you are from. And Ann Jarvis started a second holiday that would also prove to be the precursor to Mother's Day, and it was titled Mother's Friendship Day. Mother's Friendship Day. And so there was Mother's Peace Day and then Mother's Friendship Day. And she actually held meetings where soldiers from the Confederate Army and soldiers from the Union Army could come together, usually in a church or in a social hall, and their mothers would actually be present with these grown men as they would learn to make peace and seek forgiveness and move on with life together. It was always Anne's dream to have an official national holiday uh, to honor the mother's work coming out of the Civil War. Unfortunately, Anne Jarvis would never see that come into reality because she died in 1905, about three years before Mother's Day came into existence. But her daughters, the woman on the right, and that's Anna Jarvis, Anna Jarvis, uh, later she started Mother's Day for three years. She worked, laid the groundwork, and the first service for Mother's Day was held in 1908 at Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church right here in Grafton, West Virginia. By 1910, West Virginia had designated it as a state holiday, and by 1914, it had become a federal holiday, thanks to President Woodrow Wilson. This week, while studying a little bit about Mother's Day, I read an interesting fact uh, about the mafia, no less. Mother's Day was most important to the organized crime calendar. According to Joey Pistone, an FBI undercover agent, the mafia closed for business every year on Mother's Day. Now, I don't know the reason that you're celebrating Mother's Day. Maybe it's just because you're West Virginian and this is your holiday. 
Maybe it's because you're in the mafia. Whatever reason that you're celebrating Mother's Day, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why do we celebrate this holiday as a church? Now we celebrate it culturally, but why do we celebrate it as a church? I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of holidays that we celebrate culturally that we really never mention in church. So why is this such a big deal in church, especially being such a sensitive holiday, no less? Not everyone here is a mother. Some have lost their mothers. Some have lost a child. Some want to be mothers, but can't. Some have experienced miscarriage. Some didn't have loving mothers. Some bear the shame and guilt of abortion. And some are about to experience empty nest for the first time. So why in the world would we get touch on, step into such a sensitive holiday? Well, in the next few minutes, I'm gonna give you four reasons why I believe it's good and right and healthy for us to celebrate Mother's Day in church. And we're gonna look at from the life and perspective of Eve, the first mother, the mother of all living. If you like to take notes, there's an outline in your bulletin. There's actually four reasons why. Uh, there's a fifth reason. So when you get to the fourth, you wanna keep your pen out because there's one more reason I wanna give you uh, before we close. So will you stand with me out of respect for the Bible and let's read Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So why do we celebrate Mother's Day? Number one, motherhood was God's idea. Motherhood was God's idea. Long before sin, long before Adam and Eve uh, plunged the human race into brokenness and depravity, it was God's plan for men and women to multiply and fill the earth. It's called the dominion mandate or the cultural mandate. And Adam and Eve were to somehow expand the Garden of Eden, the borders of Eden, until one day their children and children's children and so on would have dominion over the entire earth. Bible doesn't say a lot about what that would have looked like because we never got to see it come to fruition. But it was always God's plan to be fruitful and multiply. We know biologically that cannot happen without mothers. So motherhood has always been integral to the plan of God for dominion over the whole earth. Think with me for a minute about how Eve, how beautiful Eve must have been. She was the very first woman and she was personally created by God. Now we know that Adam was also personally created by God out of the mud, but in the Hebrew language, the, the original language in the book of Genesis, it uses, takes great care to describe how God made Eve. He crafted her. It was his last creation, right? She's the pinnacle. Women are the pinnacle of God's 
creation. I like to say that a man is kind of like a thermos, right? Tough, tough, strong, not a lot really to look at, but tough and strong. Women are like a wine glass, right? Carefully crafted, carefully, skillfully designed by the creator himself. And motherhood wasn't something that happened after Adam and Eve sinned or wasn't supposed to. It was a part of God's original plan in the Garden of Eden. There was no, not supposed to be epidurals, no postpartum depression in the Garden of Eden, no rebellious children, no temper tantrums in Walmart, amen, right? No sick kids. This was all supposed to be perfect as part of God's design. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 19, verses four through six. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they too will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Out of that union, comes motherhood more times than not. Motherhood has always been part of God's idea. Number two, why else do we celebrate Mother's Day? Well, there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Mother's Day is good to remind us that there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Now, we know that's true experientially, but let's see that from the life of Eve, right? The first mother was not perfect. Genesis chapter three, if you wanna follow along, the words will also be on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Stop there for a moment, who's the serpent? Well, this text doesn't tell us, right? This text doesn't say the serpent is the devil, but if you've been in church for any length of time, you, you realize that traditionally we understand this to be the devil. Where do we get that? Well, there's three New Testament references that tell us that this was the devil. One is in Romans 16, one is in Revelation 12, and the other one is in Revelation 20. So in the New Testament, the Spirit of God commentates and says this is the devil. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman, this is Eve, said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. If you'd like to take notes in your Bible your, or your app, you might wanna highlight that idea of must not touch it. There's no record that God never said you're not allowed to touch it. Now, it's probably a good idea not to touch it, but Eve added to, seems to be, she added to the word of God. Verse four, Satan says, you will not certainly die. That's, we're gonna come back to that in a minute. Was he telling her the truth or not telling her the truth? That's what we'll discuss in a minute. And says, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was true. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam let all of this go down. He didn't stop her. Then verse seven, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for them. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Where are you? If you've had small children, you know what it's like for them. You know they did something wrong. They know they did something wrong. You know right where they're at, but you ask those rhetorical questions. It means you're being just like God. Where are you? What did you do? Even though you know the answer. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. That's hilarious. She points to Adam, right? She or points to Eve. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. There's manhood at its best. In verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? So in this story, we see there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Satan looks at him and he says, you're not going to die if you eat this. Physically, that was true. They didn't die. Genesis 5.5 goes on to tell us that Adam lived to be 930 years of age. So they didn't physically die. The Bible doesn't tell us how old Eve was when she dies. We can assume she lived to be a ripe old age. But they did die spiritually. The Bible tells us the, the wages of sin is death. And even though that day they could still breathe and they still had legs to be run out of the Garden of Eden, they died spiritually. And since then, every mom, every man, every woman and child has been born with brokenness, with depravity, with a need for spiritual life. I think about the women in the lineage of Jesus. You can read Matthew chapter one. There's five women in the lineage of Jesus. The first one is Tamar. Uh, there's Tamar, and then there's Rahab, then there's Ruth, then there's Bathsheba, and then there's Mary. Tamar, dressed like a prostitute, concealed her identity, had relationships with her father-in-law, and the child that came out of that physical relationship was in the bloodline of Jesus. You can read all about it in the Old Testament. The second woman mentioned in Matthew 1, we have, we have Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. God redeemed her, God saved her, but prostitution was her past. A Ruth, there's not really mentioned any major sins in Ruth's life, but we know Ruth had to be a sinner because all women are. She comes from a family of unbelievers who mocked the person of God. Think about Bathsheba. Bathsheba is in Jesus's lineage. She's the woman with whom David committed adultery and their first child died, but their next child became part of the lineage of Jesus. What about Mary? You say, well, certainly Mary was perfect, right? I mean, some aspects of religion teach that Mary had, sin, had reached sinless perfection or that she was born perfect. Well, the problem with that is Luke chapter one, verses 46 and 47. In Luke 1, 46, Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. Mary needed a savior. 
So Mary wasn't perfect. By the way, it always intrigued me that those who teach that Mary was perfect in order for Jesus to be perfect, I always wanted to know, like, now that we know what we know about modern uh, genetics, doesn't that also mean that Mary's mom had to be perfect and Mary's grandma had to be perfect and great-grandma? You see, only Jesus is the only human being, fully God and fully man, to have been born perfect, never have sinned. This week, as I'm studying about Mother's Day in West Virginia, I learned some interesting facts about Anna Jarvis. Uh, so if you, I'm West Virginian, you're West Virginian, I hope this doesn't bust your bubble, but the mother of Mother's Day that we kind of grew up kind of worshiping, you know, with the golden horseshoe and all that, she wasn't perfect either. Actually, according to one historian, Catherine Antolini from West Virginia Westland, actually, as Anna Jarvis aged, she became quite the curmudgeon. And she wanted to make sure everybody knew she was the mother of Mother's Day and nobody else. In 1904, think of this, Frank Herring, a former football coach at the University of Notre Dame, proposed the idea of Mother's Day years, at least five years before Anna Jarvis. Herring urged the Indianapolis gathering of the Fraternal Order of Eagles to support setting aside of one day in the year as a nationwide memorial to the memory of mothers and motherhood. Jarvis did not like that. That did not sit well with her because she wanted to be the mother of Mother's Day. And she wrote a scathing article that you can read today online called Kidnapping Mother's Day, Will You Be an Accomplice? And she was going for the juggler of coach Frank Herring. The same historian writes that everything that Anna Jarvis signed, she signed it as the mother of Mother's Day and wanted no one else to get the credit. In 1934, Franklin Delano Roosevelt commissioned a postage stamp that was just for Mother's Day. Jarvis commented that she thought the stamp was ugly as well as the painter who painted it was also <laughs> ugly. By the end of her life, think of this. We don't often hear, but by the end of her life, she vowed to destroy Mother's Day because other people were making money on it. She tried to copyright it, tried to buy the term Mother's Day. She wrote this, and I quote, any charity, institution, hospital, organization, or business using Mother's Day names, work, emblem, or celebration for getting money, making sales, or on printed forms should be held as imposters by proper authorities and reported to this association. A 1944 article in Newsweek said that at one time, just in one time, Anna Jarvis had 33 pending lawsuits where she was trying to sue people for the use of Mother's Day. Now, why do I tell you all that? I tell you all that to keep it real, right? If we're not careful, in this holiday, we see it on cards and we see it on social media. We get this image of what Mother's Day is supposed to be, how we've all got perfect mothers and perfect grandmothers. But what that does, I'm afraid, is it creates almost this moralistic guilt where we feel as though, first of all, our mothers can never measure up because way down deep, we know that our mothers are just as sinful as the other mothers around us. Now, we all had good mothers. Many of you had good mothers, but our mothers were still sinful. And so when we think about the fact that, that Eve wasn't perfect, our mothers aren't perfect, it helps us take the pressure off of them. Is it good sometimes to own areas where maybe their brokenness affected us? Sure it is. 
But instead of just constantly holding up our mothers or grandmothers as though they're one step down from Jesus, it's just good to recognize the obvious. There's no such thing as a perfect mother. It also affects the way we treat our wives, men. Now, we all you know, want our wives to, to grow in the Lord and our wives want us to grow in the Lord and it's good for mutual discipleship take place in the home. Uh, husband and wife should help make one another better. But let us never get to the place, men, that we hold our wives to some standard that Mary herself, the mother of Jesus, could not attain. Let's just be really, really, really careful. I believe I'm preaching to some men in here, and you've been really, really critical to your wife this past week, and she could never measure up to the standards that you've set. Just remember, there's no such thing as a perfect mother. Maybe I'm preaching to some women here and you've been holding yourself up to an unreasonable standard, right? You, you look at social media and like everybody else, you know, their kids are perfect and your kid's like stuffing erasers up his nose in school and you're getting called from the principal's office, right? Or, or, or their, their bodies are just perfect and their clothes are perfect and their house is perfect and, and you just like go to bed depressed every night as you're scrolling through looking at everybody's perfect life and you look over at this like rhinoceros that you're sleeping with and you're like, what in the, what in the world? I wanna free you from that. The gospel frees you from that. And I'm gonna tell you in a minute, there's a remedy, of course, but the remedy is not for you to try harder. The remedy is for you to step into the gospel and realize that you are broken. Every woman since Eve has been broken and you all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross in need of a savior, just like Mary. Why do we celebrate Mother's Day? Because motherhood is God's idea. Number two, because it reminds us there's no such thing as a perfect mother. Number three, why do we celebrate Mother's Day? Thirdly, Moms are indispensable to God's plan of salvation. Moms are indispensable to God's plan of salvation. After Adam and Eve's sin, God steps in the scene and speaks directly to Adam about how the curse is going to affect him. He speaks directly to Eve about how the curse is going to affect her. But God also speaks to Satan. Listen to what God tells Satan in Genesis 3, 15, speaking directly to his enemy, not equal enemy, but a created being who rebelled against his father. He says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. We'll stop there for a minute. Who will crush your head? He's talking to the devil. There's gonna be some offspring that comes from Eve One of these offspring is going to crush your head. It's gonna be a son born, it's he. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, what's he talking about? This is archaic language. What what is he saying? Most scholars believe that Genesis 3.15 is the first time the gospel is mentioned anywhere in the Bible. And I think they're right. Essentially, he's using poetic language to say, Satan, yes, you're going to do some damage to this son. You're gonna hurt this son. You're gonna get the son by the heel, so to speak. But the son is going to crush your head. Now, there's no indication that Eve knew which son this was going to be. 
Matter of fact, as you look at the Old Testament, every woman who, who gave birth to a son who understood the, the Jewish faith and this old covenant thought and hoped that maybe their child would be the one. And as you go along in the Old Testament, you learn that the boy's gonna be born in Bethlehem and all the things we talk about at Christmas. But you imagine, Gen- Genesis 4.1 says that Eve gave birth to Cain. Imagine as she gives birth to Cain, she's thinking maybe he's the one. He's the one. She knows what the devil did to her. Cain is the one. And then we know from the Old Testament, if you've been in church for any length of time, and if you haven't, you've got to read it. Genesis 4, we find that in the first few chapters, Cain kills his brother, Abel. So she knows he's not the savior. And so she gives birth to a third son and his name is Seth in Genesis 4.25. And you can just imagine as Eve holds this baby, she thinks he's the one that's going to crush the devil it would be several thousand years. Eventually there would be a baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus, who would later grow up in Nazareth, who yes, the devil would cause an army to come against him and through all the satanic forces on earth would get him crucified. But that baby boy who grew up into a man did not stay in the grave. Three days later, he rose from the grave and Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled. And that's why when Paul writes about the gospel, he honors women. Think about this, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the time, set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. If you get anything from this message, you can summarize the message in this quote. Mother's Day gives us a unique way and a unique day to preach the gospel to one another. That's why I like celebrating Mother's Day because it reminds us of the mother who would bring forth the son to save all of us from sin. Maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you've come to church off and on and you're here as a guest. Maybe you come regularly, but you've never put your faith in Christ. Let me encourage you today, believe in the son, accept the son, call on the name of the Lord and ask him to save you. There's no special words. There's nothing you gotta specially do right there in your chair. Call on the name of the Lord, believe in Christ, flee to Christ and let the son be your savior. Number four, why do we celebrate Mother's Day? Well, I believe God is pleased when we honor the moms in our life. God is pleased when we honor the moms in our life. Look with me at Genesis 3.20. Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. God is pleased when we honor the moms in our life. Now, there's several things going on here that are worth noting. One, this is the second time, not the first time, it's the second time that Adam named his wife Eve. So the first time was Genesis 2.23. He actually didn't give her the proper name Eve. He just named her woman, which means out of man, because God had taken part of Adam's anatomy and used it to fashion and form Eve into the woman she was. So the first time, it was just kind of a general name, woman. But the first time he named her with a proper name, Eve, was right here in Genesis 3.20. He says, Eve, the mother of all living. 
What's going on here? Well, one thing going on is, is Adam believed that from his wife, there would come a seed. There would be a man child, a son born who would do what God promised to do to the serpent, to Satan. So Adam is declaring something that has salvation overtones. It's beautiful. But there's also this overtone where Adam is being precious. He's being sweet. He's being kind. He's being honorable to his wife. He no longer calls her that woman, but now he calls her Eve, a beautiful name, the mother of all living. Now think about how his attitude and his tone has changed. A few verses earlier, right? At the early part of Genesis chapter three, God comes walking through the garden and Adam points to his wife. It's her fault. But by the time you get to Genesis 3.20, you see this change in his heart when he realizes that God would bring redemption. God would bring salvation. And he speaks to her in kindness. And he speaks about her with grace. I believe God is honored when we honor the moms in our life. When we honor the, maybe it's our own biological mother, maybe it's a mother figure. God is honored when we do that. Think about what Jesus did on the cross in John 19. John 19, 25, he's hanging on the cross Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, that's Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he says, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. We think about John, history tells us that John kept Mary while she was up in years in the city of Ephesus until she died. He cared for her, he loved her because Jesus wanted to make sure his own mom was taken care of. There's something that pleases the Lord about that attitude, about that tone. Now, why do I want you to know those four things? What's the reason that we would talk about this other than it just being Mother's Day? Well, I believe the, the reason is this. This is a, a fifth point or really the reason why I've given you all that I've given you. Here it is. There are aspects of God's love that we can only know through a mother's love. There are aspects of God's love that we can only know through a mother's love. Now, dads, don't worry. I'm gonna be talking with you on Father's Day, right? The same is true for fathers, but today's Mother's Day, so you have to wait. There are aspects of God's love that we can see and know through a mother's love. I was thinking this week of some ways that my own mom built into my life. And without her, I might not have known these things about God. Um, I remember on one instance, I was uh, scared to death of a storm, right? I'm a big chicken, probably more than most young men. But I, as a kid, I was scared of storms. I remember my mom, mom made me made me as a scaredy cat go out on the front porch, not by myself, that would be bad, but with her during a storm. And I still remember wearing those sweatbands. Remember the sweatbands you used to wear on your, on your wrists and your ankles? We were cool, right? We used to be, used to be a long time ago, used to be cool. And sitting in the front porch and it was just storming and I was upset and mom was like, look, you can face it, you can face it. I still think about that at times. When in career and in life, you're facing storms and hard conversations and you've got to step into hard situations, mom made me face it because she knew that would be good for me to learn that God could get me through. I remember one instance, we were walking in Sun Valley 
in St. Albans where I grew up. And, and I was a kid. I might have been in kindergarten or less. That's about the time you, I guess, start remembering things. I might have been four or five. She had my sister by the hand. My sister was small. I can still remember it. And I was throwing rocks down a hill at a pipe. I wanted to hit that pipe, right? Just throwing rocks at that pipe. And I can still remember my mom stopping. And she would say, a little to the right, a little to the left. Come on, keep trying. You're going to get it. Keep trying. You're going to get it. And eventually I hit that pipe. I still remember that as a kid. And mom could have said, you know, jerk me by the arm and said, it's time to get home. But she taught me, just keep trying. You know, in life and career, how many times you miss the mark, but you can hear your mama's voice. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. There are things that we learn about God from a mother's love. The other day, Riley asked me to play volleyball, just hit volleyball out front in the driveway I'm no good at volleyball. Whoever invented volleyball was psychotic. I don't understand the sport, right? Like to hit it with two arms and have to hit it straight, like I still haven't figured it out, right? And at first I'm like, no, I don't wanna do this. And sometimes there's things going on, but I had time that night. And I remember my mom passing baseball with me out front. I know mom didn't wanna pass baseball with me, but she did it because she loved me. Just yesterday, I was doing some last minute Mother's Day shopping. Sorry, babe. I was at, a, um, I was at Walmart picking up some cards and things. And, and as I'm walking by, I just remembered how my wife in 2007, uh, we had got off the road, quit being an evangelist because I wanted to start a church in Charleston. And I knew we needed some extra income. And she went to work at Walmart in 2007 to help pay the bills. And then this guy named Sean Thornton, one of our former pastors, found out about it and offered me a job. He says, no, you got some stuff you need to learn first. Offer me a job here. But just walking through, remember when my wife used to do that to help our children and to help me. Thinking about how she got her nursing license so I could go to seminary. This is good for us. Sure, we could stop and think about how our moms and the women in our life aren't perfect, but this is the time of year when we remember God's grace to them and to us. Here's something I'd like you to do before we close. I'd like you to do this. Do something today to honor the moms or mom figures in your life. Do something today to honor the moms or mom figures in your life. If your mom is still with you, call her today. Call, you know that already, call your mom. Make a visit if it's possible. Write words of affirmation. Maybe it's a letter you send this week or an email or we'll take a text if that's all the time you have. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's, she likes physical touch perhaps. Maybe it's that foot massage you haven't given her in five years. Or maybe it's a gift that they want and you're able to provide. If they like quality time, if it's your wife or your mom or some other mom figure in your life, spend the day with her. Ask her what she wants to do. Don't tell her what you want her to do. Ask her what she wants to do. If they need something fixed, fix it. Or pay somebody to fix it if you can't fix it. But do it in honor of your mom. If your mom's no longer with you, thank God for your mom. In a minute, I'm gonna give you time. Just thank God for your mom because that mom was God's grace in your life in some way. Maybe it was another lady. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a mentor. Maybe it wasn't your biological mom. Thank God for her and what you learned from God through her life. Why do I want you to do these things? Four reasons. Because motherhood is God's idea. Because there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Because moms are part of God's salvation plan. 
And number four, God is pleased when we honor the mom or mom figures in our lives. Will you join me in prayer? Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.